It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck, and I'm along with my coworker Jordan Bianchi. We are motorsports writers at The Athletic, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about today, Jordan. There was a little bit of racing news and, and happenings today. Where, where do we start? I guess we start with the NASCAR race because that's the most topical and the fresh mind. Well, there was a, it was a quite the, the eventful uh, weekend, I guess, between the NASCAR Cup race in yeah. New Hampshire, which certainly gave us much more than we bargained for. Uh, the SRS, <laughs> the SRX race at uh, Nashville, which I got to attend and then flew back home this morning. And then um, F1, a lot of fireworks there. So, wow. Yeah, this is going to be. Uh, this was a great weekend. This really was. Yeah, this is going to be a meaty, a meaty podcast, and it'll be our last one for three weeks because uh, the Olympic break's coming up, and um, NASCAR and IndyCar are going to be taking a break. I'm going on vacation. Won't be uh, tear down stuff to talk about, so we'll uh, we'll be going dark for a little bit. But at least we end on a on quite a quite a note here because man, <laughs> um, first of all, Jordan, you know, yes. I, Yep. I, Go ahead. I, I've got to uh, apologize once again to you. Got to apologize because it was just a few weeks ago that I was making fun of you for your fantasy that there would be these different winners at this point in the season. The season was being dominated by Kyle Larson and Hendrick Motorsports, maybe some Joe Gibbs drivers here and there. It had settled out. You're not going to see too many different winners and certainly not any surprise winners at that point. Then Kurt Busch comes out of nowhere to oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Okay. It's not just that. You also very clearly, emphatically laid out the style of tracks. No one's going to pull a surprise at an Atlanta. No one's going to pull a surprise at New Hampshire. And it did, and it's it's crazy. And we've got 13 winners now. And let me, uh, we don't need to make this, you know, an apology tour because, you know, it's obvious. We know this. We, you know, you're in the wrong. It happens a lot. <laughs> uh, let me ask you 13 winners. With four races left. I, I'm not going to get into that. Are we going to have more winners than playoff spots? Because I just I don't think that's going to happen. But do you think we have another one or two more surprises along the way? I, I don't think it's completely unheard of. Well, this has been, probably been the most unpredictable season I can remember. Just, you know, if you think about looking, I'm looking at the standings right now, okay? Christopher Bell, Michael McDowell, and Eric Almarola have all won races. <laughs> Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick have not won races. I mean, if you would have, like, there's just no way. Mid-July, if you would have told me that, I just would have been like, you are an idiot. You don't know NASCAR. What are you talking about? That's impossible. Like, there is no scenario that could happen. I cannot picture that in a million years. So now you're asking me to go along with one of your fantasy things and imagine even more winners, which is obviously very hard for me because I didn't see this coming. 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, sure, I could see one more winner. Yeah, but again, I so. I, I'm looking at it and, and I'm going, you know, I would think that road courses would be the traditional type people. I would think that Michigan would be. Daytona, of course, you could see a surprise. But <laughs> the the two road courses, Indy and Watkins Glen and Michigan, I mean, I how can you say? I mean, but again, I wouldn't have said this about New Hampshire. Eric Almarola, yeah. what? You know? Yeah. Kurt Busch, Atlanta, what? So, yeah, I mean, gosh, I'm, I'm not the person to ask this question to. I should ask you, what do you think, <laughs> Mr. Genius Fantasy Guy? I, it feels like we've got one more out there. You mentioned Daytona. Uh, I, I look at, you know, you, you say Michigan, but Michigan's a fuel mileage race. You, typically, you see these kind of crazy things happen there sometimes. You never know what the road course is. And I, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment and say that this is the most shocking win in recent years or everything. But I went through and I kind of made a list. And I don't know how you don't consider this non-super speedway, non-weather impacted uh, race uh, one of the more surprising finishes because it wasn't like Omarola backed into this. He went out and won this race. He, he passed Brad. He had speed all day. Brad ba- pra- passed Brad Keselowski late, held off Christopher Bell, who had a, a seemingly faster car. He, he went, And it was a one-mile New Hampshire track, which frankly is not a track that traditionally – it is full of surprises. It usually kind of favors the top drivers and teams, and he did it today. I mean, I looked at the list. Here's what I got. Cole Custer last year at Kentucky. We forget about that a little bit, but, yep. you know, that that, that's, that was shocking. That um, was a restart, though, so you, that's yep, not that like he just drove up and, and beat everybody, you know? Exactly. Um, Casey Kane, 2017, Brickyard 400, which was a, a crash fest, and, like, everybody got taken out. Yeah, that wasn't totally. I mean, that's still a Hendrick car, so you're not going to yeah. say that's totally shocking. Even though he didn't, he wasn't having a good season. But yeah, sure. um, this was a fuel mileage win, so I don't know how you want to rate this. Austin Dillon, 2017 Coca Cola 600. That was a pretty shocking one, but again, like you said, fuel mileage. Yep. Although he he was in contention that day too. That wasn't like yep. a total fluke. Yeah. The other one, and, I, and here's the one I want to ask you about. This is a little. Tony Stewart, 2016 Sonoma. We, we know Tony Stewart's great, three-time NASCAR champion. But at that point in his career, he was well, I think it's fair to say, past his prime. And he goes out on a road course out of nowhere and beats Denny Hamlin. That, that to me, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, but that, yeah, you know, that's, that's a good one, but it's still Tony Stewart. So I would yeah. say that this Eric Almirola one is more shocking than all of those, considering that, you know, number one, how bad Stuart Haas has been this year compared yeah. to what we thought they would be. I mean, Eric Almirola, the first SHR winner of the season. <laughs> that uh, crazy. Okay. And it came in July. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, whatever. And, and, and then number two, a guy who had only won on super speedways. He had never won on a downforce track, um, in his cup career. He just had a, a, a Talladega rain victory and a, um, that or sorry, Daytona rain victory yep. and a Talladega uh, playoff victory. When that that year that SHR like ran one two three four for much of that race and was really dominant, and um, you know that that was sort of an uneventful Talladega race. But I mean, he's good at Talladega. But you get my point that this this really I I agree with you. This was sort of out of nowhere, and it's I'd be hard pressed to find a more like shocking one. I mean, Kurt Busch, you could say even last week was pretty surprising. But as far as like shocking didn't see this coming i mean at least kurt bush is like a former champion and you know he's capable of 
doing something like this or his team is once a year, but we hadn't seen this from Almirola. So how could we possibly expect this? I mean, even Almirola said, nobody should have expected this. You know what I mean? Like, and, and his crew chief said, oh, maybe we were thinking we could go, you know, top five and that would build off something. But I mean, geez, uh, how, how do you explain this season? I just so, uh, so many out of nowhere type things have happened. Um, it's man, it's just, uh, if I, I'll be interested to, we should go back sometime and listen to what we said at the beginning of the year, our predictions and things like that, because I think proving to be way off. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, it's, think he, I think that's the point about Eric Amarola though. It's like, you talk about Kurt Busch to me, it wasn't a surprise that Kurt had won last week because we know that he is capable of us. We saw this last year. We saw it the year before. He's always kind of good for these one victories a year. He's a very talented driver. Eric Almarola, and I want to be kind here, and I'm not trying to besmirch him, but he's a journeyman driver. I think it's fair to say the knock on him is how did a driver with his resume who isn't really consistent on a year-to-year basis, doesn't have the wins, he's got Smithfield as a sponsor. That seems to be the consensus of why he's still at these, you know, this powerhouse, Stuart Haas racing. He really has never shown this before. And for him to go out and do this, this is a statement win in, in a lot of respects. I mean, this is a driver who it's very easy to criticize. I think it's fair to say he's, he's kind of a choke artist through the years. He's been in these opportunities with SHR where he's had good cars and been in opportunities to win these races. And sometimes through circumstances, sometimes through just bad luck, sometimes because of mistakes on his own, it hasn't happened. And today he closed the deal. And that's not something we've really been able to say about him. And I think we were kind of texting about this a little bit is this is his signature win in a lot of respects. Um, he, he didn't have that. I mean, he was, I hate to say this for a guy who's he's won two races at the cup series level, made the playoffs in you know, multiple years, but he's had a forgettable career. I mean, really, if you think about it. Well, I mean, look, the fact that he was 27th in points going into today um, behind some people that he really should have been ahead of, you know, whether it's Ryan priest or, or his rookie teammate, Chase Briscoe or Eric Jones, people like that. I mean, in, in a Stuart Haas car, you're just like, I mean, I know they've had some bad luck, but geez. Right. And, you know, I, I, I was thinking, you know, I, I messaged you like, look, if he blows this here, I mean, this is gonna, I don't think he can ever sort of escape that legacy, like that he would have given this one away. The fact is he went out there, he earned this one twice because, you know, he, he had gone up, you know, he passes, uh, Ryan Blaney or whatever yeah. the situation was, right? Yeah. He passes Ryan Blaney on speed straight up, but you know, then he has to pit and it's like, okay. Now what? Like he, he executed on his pit stop, his pit crew did. Um, he came out, but then Keselowski passes him and it's like, Oh, there it is. You know, <laughs> that's sort of the opportunity where it's like, okay, Keselowski is faster. And the TV saying, well, Amarola had a better long run car. And, and it's sort of like, you could see if that was going to, if he was going to lose it there, you could go, okay, I could, I could see that's where it went away. And then he went up and passed Keselowski again. And that was just sort of like, man, he took it. You know what I mean? Like, he was not going to let this go. He sees this opportunity, and I, I, I agree. It's got to be a signature win for him, and um, really, just just such an out of nowhere thing that I, you know, after look after Kurt Busch won um, at Atlanta, and we we were talking on this podcast, you know, it blew the playoff picture wide open, right? Because you looked at it, and and it it made the bubble that the cutoff line was ninety six points. And we're like, well, that's so much for the points situation story because that's it, you know? And I was like, there's not going to be another, you know, new winner from outside this 
group. And so now it's kind of like, that's kind of settled. Um, you know, Tyler Reddick, Austin Dillon, they're still pretty good. I'm not really worried about them falling out. Next thing you know, fast forward one week, um, Austin Dillon out of the playoffs and the playoff bubble has gone from 96 points to five points because that's the small advantage that Tyler Reddick has, um, over his teammate, Austin Dillon, that's going to be a battle. And then you look at that and you go, well, wait, if one more person wins now, then all of a sudden Kevin Harvick's the cutoff line plus 82 right now. And then it starts to get really interesting because Denny Hamlin somehow has held on to the regular season championship battle so far. Um, and we've been talking about that in terms of only in terms of like, who's going to get those five extra playoff bonus points, right? Because, um, I think he's up by 13 over Kyle Larson. We, we thought Larson was going to pass him weeks ago, uh, going into Pocono and he, and Hamlin's continued to hold him off for four straight races now. Um, but now it's like, not only does Hamlin need to win the regular season title for the five extra bonus points that he gets over yeah. second finishing second, but the regular season champion gets a playoff spot. And so that would bump out one of the uh, 16 winners in theory, right? Or I guess it would yeah. be 15. It's no, 15 I guess winners yeah, plus yeah. the regular season champion right. if they haven't won a race. Right. So um, now that, I mean, if that, if that suddenly happens, it gets really crazy and interesting. Um, you know, obviously I think that's, it seems to me again, like a fantasy to talk about that today. Like that's not going to happen, but this is quickly proving me wrong that uh, this is the season that anything can happen, I guess. So, um, I don't really know. I mean, it's four races left. You would think it's running out of time, but who knows, man? Yeah, it, it jumped out to me today and it was Kevin Harvick is all of a sudden is kind of approaching that, oh, wait a second here. If one or, one or two more goofy things really happen, all of a sudden Kevin Harvick's on that bubble of, of not making the playoffs, which at the beginning of the year, there was nobody, there was no one who thought that was even a remote possibility. I still think it's a long shot at best, but it's still still out there. It's very possible, and it's crazy. And you mentioned at the beginning, Eric Omarola's got to win. Michael McDowell's got to win. Guess who doesn't have a win? Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick. It's just it is crazy to think about how this season has evolved. You know, a couple of weeks ago, it didn't look like Hendrick Motorsports was ever going to lose a race. Yeah, and now it's like. I don't want to use the word afterthought, but what would you describe today? Cause it certainly felt like that in some respects, they just were just around. They didn't really do anything. They, they weren't an, they weren't a player in the impact of that on the finish of this race at all. Well, I, that that's a valid point. And, and I, I did look back at last year's New Hampshire race. Cause I wanted to check. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, you know, what did they do last year for this New Hampshire race? Because I think there's a temptation there to look at this and say, okay, one mile track, uh, fairly flat 750 package. And you're thinking, okay, this is the track that most translates to Phoenix. Well, we know that chase Elliott went out and won Phoenix last year. So I was like, what did, what did he do in that New Hampshire race? Well, he finished ninth last year. And really, if you look back at, at Hendrick, they weren't a factor, um, in the, in the New Hampshire race. So it could be one of those things where Hendrick, it's just not a great track for them. Um, But I, I do agree, and I think it continues to be something to watch where, you know, Atlanta, you look at it, and it's like, you know, other teams are feeling good that they made some gains on Hendrick. And today, I mean, Ford especially. Now, obviously, we'll, we'll get to the rain part because 
it took out <laughs> two of the best cars essentially with uh, now Truex did come back to finish 12th, but he had damage. Uh, Kyle Busch was maybe who knows he could have dominated yeah. this race. We have no idea. Um, he's, he seemed to be in position to have a good day and, and the rain took him out. So, but still, regardless of that, Ford finishes one, three, four, five, six, where Ford, we've been talking about them as like, ah, and then there's the Fords there. Yeah. They were today though. So that's a big, that's a big deal. I don't know what to make of it. I don't really know what to make of any of this. Really? This whole season is, you know, especially the last couple of weeks have been super confusing it's hard to find trends in anything anymore. <laughs> Certainly, there's no big three. There's no big two. Uh, there's not even a big one because everything was all about Kyle Larson. He can't be stopped. He's unde- un- unbeatable and Lar- Larson, Larson, Larson. And I just, now that not that narrative seems to have changed. So go figure. I have no idea, man. I got no idea. This, this break uh, is coming at a weird time because now we'll have a lot of time to sit and think about this. And the teams will, and I just don't know what's going on with this season. A couple of things there. One, we, we, it's really easy narrative to fall into, and I and I fall into this a lot. And I got corrected by a, a crew chief last week. We were talking about New Hampshire versus Phoenix and how maybe this is a good indicator. Because last year, Brad Keselowski was really good in this race, and he went to Phoenix and was really strong there. And there seems to be some correlation. And they told me, no, that since Phoenix has been repaved and remodeled, it's not the same anymore and it's a different track. And while yes, they're one mile flat ovals, it's not enough where you can kind of carry over. Um, so, you know, it is hard to take from this race and say, okay, it has more gonna... relevance than like Pocono or a road sure. course or a- something. 100%. Absolutely. And that, that's something to note. And I think team Penske coming alive to this is the best that team Penske collectively has looked in. I don't know, spring. Cause there was a time this year we said that I, I said, that Team Penske is probably the best organization, and they've kind of fallen off the map. I mean, they they really have backtracked while Hendrick has excelled and JGR has come back as well. Today, Ryan Blaney led a lot of laps. Keselowski was in contention all day. Logano came back from two laps down and somehow finished the top ten. Um, and so he finished look, fourth, dude. Yeah, they look great today. So I think that's interesting to see what this is and what the carryover is going forward. And just because this makes me feel really good to tell you that you're wrong and it brings me great joy. It was a week ago where I said the number four Kevin Harvick team was really kind of coming around. And I think they're not quite back yet, but they're getting there and you kind of scoffed at me and whatever. And today, Kevin Harvick led the most laps and looked great. So that's all. Nah, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to go there. Uh, I still don't think, okay, look, he got the lead. Um, he got the lead on a pit stop. And he was able to, he looked good on that, on that stint for sure. He led 52 laps once he got the lead, but you know, and yes, he did lead the most laps today overall, 60, 66 laps, but he ends up finishing sixth. I'm not going to say, you know, he's back or anything like that. His teammate went out and, and won the race and, and his teammate looked better than he did. Yep. So, you know, I, I still, no, I'm still not really sold on, I'm not going to get too excited about Harvick this year. I still don't see him even winning a race this year, although I didn't see Eric Almarola, Michael McDowell, Christopher Bell. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can I just throw a stat at you really quick? Can I look okay. at it? Kevin Harvick is tied for the most top 10 finishes this year. That's crazy to think about. I, I would not have guessed that. 
Because we've talked about like he's an it's and hey, no, he's, he's not a really he's a veteran him. guy. He makes the most of his his days. I'm just not saying he has winning stuff. You know what I mean? I just, like I I love this team. I love where this team is at, and I feel like they're going to flip the script as what it was a year ago. Where you love where with, this team is at. You love where Kevin Harvick's number I four love team where is they at? Are at right now going into the playoffs. I think they are getting better and better, and I think they when they yes look at the they look at the performance. Last what, week what? at Atlanta was a good run. They were running competitively there. They he ran led his weird. first laps today since early May. You, you, how, how do you so, say? You, 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 they're they're competitive. They're more competitive now. They're not out to launch. It's not a struggle. You can literally see every single week they're getting better and better, and they're getting into a point of the year where their moxie and their ability to grind things out is going to be a huge advantage. I, I like where this team's at. I think they're going to be well positioned come the playoffs. What what does that mean? What are they going to go make it to the second round or something? I think I think they. I mean, would you be surprised if this team flipped, if they they made a run? Don't you have yes. to give them the? Yes, I very much I would, would be surprised. So okay, where would you put them right now? You you have them out. What you said you said you'd be surprised if they made it to round two. So you think no no round one? No, I think they'll make it to the second round. And I mean, look, they're, they're great, but uh, you know, great playoff experience and stuff. But where's the performance that that's going to get them to round three with all the Hendrick cars and the Gibbs cars and the Penske cars. You're going to put Harvick in the top eight ahead of some of those. Really? I'll take Harvick over some of those guys. I'll take Harvick over a bell. I'll take bell. I'll take Harvick over a Bowman. I'll take Harvick over a Byron right now. Oh, give. Oh, this is just painful to listen you come to. From the playoffs, you, you, you're you telling me you'd rather have William Byron or, or Christopher Bell in the playoffs right now. I would absolutely rather have William Byron or Alex Bowman going to the final eight than Harvick. Okay. In a Hendrick car, you th- you're like that out on Hendrick right now. Two no, like two three weeks ago, we were I like this Hendrick. Did wait a minute on this podcast? Didn't you say it was possible for all four Hendrick cars to no, make the final four? That's not what I said. I was I said it jokingly. It was ah, kidding. It was a joke. We actually Somebody wrote about it. I, I, we actually wrote about it in the athletic on a preview. I said, "Can I pick all four hundred cars?" I said, "No, I'm kind of joking." No, kind I, of I, joke. I, and now, oh, now you're there. Now you've got Harvick ahead of them. I see how this works, <laughs> Mister Bandwagon. No, I just think if you look at the way this four team is progressing and they continue to make gains, and I think the fact that Eric Omarola won today, it shows you that Surehaus Racing is doing something there. And they're, they're, they are making the performance gains. In a time when you can't test, there's no practice, and it's all about simulation. And we have heard crew chiefs up and down talk about how difficult it is to close performance gaps because of this. They are doing it. They are not out to lunch like they once were. They are coming back around. And, again, you look at last week in Atlanta. You look at today. You look at other performance. They are they are slowly uh, incrementally. I, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. But I my, my criticism is that you get too caught up in – like these little short bursts. You're the same guy who like two weeks ago said that Chase Elliott was going to get double digit wins this season. And he was going to go on this amazing hot streak. What, what happened to that? Where's that? I didn't say, do- I didn't say double digit wins. The best yes, you was, did. No, I said, I said at the beginning of the year, I thought Chase Elliott was going to have a Kevin Harvick S type season. We like made Howard. a bet that, that Elliott, you said Elliott was going to have more wins than Larson for the rest I of the year. By that comment. That's not that's not ludicrous to say. He's got two. He's got two wins. Larson's got four. We've got a lot of season left. I don't know why that's a ludicrous comment. I'm just saying you you get you get caught up in this. I'm I'm out on Harvick. I'm, I'm going to hold you to these wild uh, predictions. Anyway, there's lots more to talk about than just your uh, fantasy that Harvick is suddenly going to okay. get Let's, hot out of nowhere. 
Okay, let's talk about this. Okay. What what did you think about the beginning of the race today and the process that where we saw within six laps, the first two top running cars, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., rain hit, they crash, and then, you know, the race is stopped because of rain and there's a lot of questions about how we got here. I think it's a pattern and it, and it bothers me because I think it, it goes back to, honestly, I think it goes back to TV and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure. Maybe it's subconscious. Maybe it's, you know, top of mind. I, I don't know, but you know, NASCAR, they, they have these TV windows, the ratings they know are huge. They know the viewers are there to, to tune in, um, at the start of the race. They do not want to delay the races. They do not want to, you know, have a viewership drop off. And I think they're looking at it like, hey, you know, if it's misting or whatever, we, we can get this in. We can get this started. Is the track good? You know, it's it's they, these guys will figure it out. Um, and then, you know, sometimes they get away with it. Um, but I think more often than not, it's too much of a risk. You know, you saw it affect the playoffs last year, as we've talked about a lot with Harvick, Texas. It was misting. They were sort of in denial that the mist was going to be there and ended up being there for days. And then Harvick goes off as the leader at Texas and goes up and hits the wall. And that really affected the playoffs. And and NASCAR really wanted to get that race in that day. Um, and, you know, I think same with today, right? Like, you know, the drivers are saying it's raining. You know, it's raining, right? And they're saying, yeah, yeah, you know, start the race. You know, the, people are talking on the radios. You, I'm sure you heard it. I heard okay. it. You know, the radios are sort of lighting up with, oh, it's raining. It's raining harder. Um, but NASCAR is saying, all right, let's keep it going. And they're hoping that it just kind of lifts and it, it, you know, goes away. It's not, not super green on the radar or anything like that. And next thing you know, you've crashed the first two cars and you know, it's a problem. Um, it's, it's just not a good, it's not, it's not a good look. The thing is if, if cautions were consistent, the other side of it too, but like, okay. So Steve O'Donnell goes on. NBCSN, he's explaining, okay, you know, we, we were asking our spotters, you know, what do you think? Is it raining? Should we call it? And they're talking about it. They're discussing. And then they decide, all right, yeah, we, we should, we should put it out here. And it's, you know, he goes through the process, which that's fine. That's, that makes sense to me. But then on the other side of that, you have situations where they throw a caution immediately for like a half spin where the guy doesn't even hit the wall or end up spinning at all. He just kind of like gets out of shape and like a little smoke comes off his tires or whatever. And it's like caution immediately out. They don't even let that play out at all. Right. And you're like, okay, well how come that was so immediate? But like, well, there's some weather that could actually be a dangerous situation and that wasn't immediate. And then you come up like a little bit later when they're trying to get the race going, Cody Shane Ware spins like a real actual spin that would normally be a caution that's not a caution, which is fine. I like that they let it play out, but they don't usually. So it's like, well, what is, is a caution for safety? Cause if it is, you should probably throw it when all the drivers are saying it's wet, it's wet. Like it's not, you know, NBCSN's like all the booth people are like, Hey, you know, we like, what can we do to learn from this? So next time, you know, what can we, well, how can we, can the communication get better for next time or whatever? Right. Like, what can we do? How can we make this a positive? They just had this situation last October, like in the playoffs. It was a high profile situation. Nothing was learned because the exact same thing just happened. So what are you talking about? What are you going to learn? They're not going to learn anything. I don't think 
like, I think it's, I think it's really about like, Hey, we've got it. We've, I think they feel immense pressure and I understand because the ratings are a really big deal and the overall audience and was it up or down, you know, three or 4% that can make a big difference. I get that. But I just think, am I on a rant? No, oh, yeah, this is 100% a rant. I've actually marked this down as Jeff Gluck's rant. I have it right here in my notebook right here. It says Jeff Gluck's rant. I really wasn't going to rant about this. No, that's that's why I asked you. That's why I teed you up, baby. <laughs> I think you're right, though. I... <laughs> Look on your face right now. It's great. <laughs> I, I think you make a good point, and I, I can't speak to the TV thing. I, I think the Texas race for the TV thing is is definitely there because it's the playoffs. It's on big NBC. You know, that is a high-profile race, and you also have the fact that you have NBC Sunday Night Football that night too. So you, you do have a tighter window. Like, if you don't get this in, we're going to get bumped to the cable, and we know what that does to the ratings. And I, I think that's the thing. And I think today, for example – I wonder if the fact that New Hampshire doesn't have lights played a part of this too, because, you know, you, you do, again, you're shrinking this window. Yes. The, the sun sets at eight twenty one, but you don't have lights. So if you, if you have a delay of any kind, all of a sudden you're looking at a you know, condensed race and maybe a Monday finish, there has to be a better job of, of communication. It, it, I think it kind of goes back to what we talked about last week. It just feels like this communication is, is broken down to some degree. Like, you mean they're not saying, being listened to? I think that's fair in this case. Or, you know, the, in, I didn't hear it, so I, I can't speak to it. But uh, our, our colleague uh, at motorsport.com, Jim Utter, heard a radio transmission where an official said, you know, turns one and two are wet, and NASCAR didn't heed that and continued on. Again, I, I didn't hear that, but there's no reason not to believe what Utter uh, tweeted and heard. It just There was like this rush today to get this in or get going, and it's like, is it going to kill anybody if you wait five extra minutes? I, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's probably a belief that, look, these guys are the best stock car drivers in the world and they can navigate a little bit of Mr. Moisture. They, they can back it down and be careful enough to do so. But I think the problem is, you know, like Kyle Busch said, he, he knew it was raining. He's trying to back it up, but mm -hmm. they have no tread on their tire. You know, it's, it's no. a slick tire. And when you get in a wet situation like that, it's just going to, there's nothing, it's not their fault. I mean, you can go even slower and, and still spin. So, um, yeah, I, it's, it, I, I get the belief that, you know, I, I'm not saying that they, they're up there going vortex theory, vortex theory, which by the way, how come every time like a rain cell like happens to go around the track, everybody goes vortex theory is real. And then, like when Texas or this happens, when there's cars on the track and it starts Martin's raining, in the spring. Like, how come nobody brings up the vortex theory then? Nobody was in my mentions talking about the vortex theory today. So, hmm, what happened there? And I wasn't going to spark it because, I mean, who wants to talk about that? That's like the most annoying thing. But I just had to bring that up. Anyway, I'm not saying that NASCAR is like sort of weather deniers or something like that. I just think they're they're like, look, they'll be able to manage it. And then sort of like the mist or the, the sprinkles will move out and we'll be able to keep the race green. We'll keep some heat in the track. Obviously, that'll probably help. And and it'll be all good. But we this situation has happened so recently that I think they've just got to really be careful that it just doesn't work that way. Now they're really going to have to err on the side of caution, which, you know, probably caused some delays where, you know, maybe they could have gotten it in or something, you know, now they'll have to go the extreme other way. Cause people are, this will be top of mind and, and fresh in people's minds. But I mean, that's what you got to keep people safe. And, and even more than the safety part of it, 
you, you can't you can't let the you can't be taken out of the top cars because it's the leaders that are the victims of this, right? We 100%. saw Chase Elliott was running third or something when this happened. He saw the two cars spin ahead of him. He way backed it down. He didn't spin. It was the race leaders, the the potentially fastest cars of the day that got taken out. That's not fair. It's not fair to them. It isn't fair. We saw it with Kevin Harvick last year at Texas, and you can read the story in The Athletic. I talked to Rodney Childers, and just that was like a stomach punch, and they were leading that race, and they admit they maybe could have been more of a conservative, but if you're the first car through that spot when the track is wet, there's nothing you can do. And this is part of why NASCAR is looking at, you know, these treaded drain tires at some of these flat ovals. New Hampshire today would have been one of those instances where you maybe would have used these tires, but you can't question Kyle Busch's talent. You can say a lot of things about Kyle Busch, but his talent is not up for debate. And if it's raining and he can't hang on to the car, that tells you that the conditions are probably not optimal to race. And it just feels like there was a breakdown uh, along the way. Jeff, once this race got started, uh, you know, after we had the red flag and everything, uh, personally, I thought this was, again, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. This was probably the, the best green flag to checkered flag New Hampshire race I have seen maybe ever. I, I can't tell you a more competitive race that was more invested in than this one. I, I thought it was great today. There was racing, there was passing. This is what you want when you go to New Hampshire every single year. And I think it's fair to say the PJ one, the lack of PJ one played a huge impact in that today. Yeah. I, I can't really speak to how much the, it was the PJ one. I mean, obviously it was a better race than I've, yeah. Like you said, I've ever seen it at New Hampshire. Um, I mean, it's not like we have a lot of a ton of excellent New Hampshire races to <laughs> choose from, but I mean, there have been some like good New Hampshire finishes like sure. the, um, the Harvick Denny battle. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that, that was pretty good. Harvick and Kyle Busch a few years ago where Harvick nudged them out of the way. That's right. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there's been a lot of actually great finishes at New Hampshire, but, but not great races. Yeah. Like beginning yeah. to end this, this was tremendous. This was good. And yeah, yeah I yeah. love this race. This was great. We saw guys making moves, passing, I, I don't, we're going to get into this in the poll, which God forbid, I don't want to talk. I just, whatever. <laughs> That's, but this was, this was great. This was entertaining. Well, yeah. And I think we should, I think we should do the poll now because I, oh. I'm very excited about this, um, this race. I, I think this was the race of the year. Of course, I thought Atlanta was going to be, you know, pretend, it should have been the race of the year so far um, last week. And, and the poll, you know, you guys didn't vote that way. A lot of you, because, you know, we'll, I'll say our, our friends, the 750 truthers came out and they, and they, you know, they said, look, we, we can't, uh, get behind a 550 package race like that, whatever. Okay. But this was a 750 package race and it was a great race. And I just, you know, there was so much going on. I mean, that the really excellent racing back and forth between Keselowski and Blaney for a while, um, you had multiple passes, you know, with the Almirola stuff, the, you know, is it going to, the, the darkness element, it was almost like the approaching rainstorm element. Um, I really liked that. I mean, I thought that added a lot of urgency to the race. That was really intriguing, compelling. Um, I just think, yeah, I mean, look, first of all, it's going to be slam dunk for the best New Hampshire race in the poll which is only 83%. Only only one New Hampshire race in the polls gotten over 80%, and that was 2018 Harvick win. Um, it's just not, I mean, like we said, the track is just not super amazing or anything. It's just not, not known for like these excellent races. Um, there's been many more crappy New Hampshire races than, than great ones, in my opinion. 
So yeah, I think this will, this will easily be the best New Hampshire race. It's just a matter of where will it stack up this season. The best race this season, as we talked about, Vegas and Martinsville are tied 88.5. I think this deserves to be in the 90% club. Um, I don't know if it'll get there because of two things. I think um, the rain at the beginning, that could make some fans salty potentially. And I think people could say like the darkness at the end, like does that have some sort of impact on how people viewed it? Like they're going to say, oh, it's not fair that they did it that way. They couldn't have waited five more minutes, eight more laps. But no, I, I really feel like it's it should be it should get a ninety percent, don't you? I mean, am yeah, I wrong? I, I would vote ninety two. It's probably way too hot. I, I I have no rhyme or reason with this poll. I completely throw up my hands and try to figure out what the hell people want out of a race because, like you said, I thought Atlanta was a great race and people didn't respond and whatever. This is a good race. This was a darn good New Hampshire race, best one ever. If this doesn't hit the nineties, I'll be shocked. But again, I have no idea what the hell the poll is going to do. So. Yeah, well, um, I do have to go first since I picked up another win last week, and uh, you were you were obviously let down um, by the you you had more faith in in the voters uh, than I did, and unfortunately, you you guessed too high. Um, so I'm up twelve to ten now. Um, but you know, I I think uh, yeah, I I know you're gonna say ninety two. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna step on that too much. I I think it might be like closer to 90. So I'll just go like straight up 90, but you know, I, I think it can end up 91, 92 for sure. It, I think it should be higher than that, but it's, it's pretty tough to get people on the internet to agree with something. So I don't want to like over, overshoot it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to say 90. I'll, I'll let you have that 92. If, if, is that going to be your, your guess? That's I my guess. guess. 92. Okay. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so Jordan, I uh, flew back home this morning from Nashville. Uh, Chase Elliott was at the New Hampshire race, and it was kind of weird to see somebody, um, you know, on TV who you just seen last night, and now I'm sitting at home there on TV. But uh, both Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson um, went to do some Saturday night extra extracurricular racing in other states, and then. Uh, flew there. It's it's really interesting how they're, um, you know, just sort of expanding their their racing brand and and bringing it to other series. And um, Chase going to Nashville, winning SRX. Kyle Larson winning the King's Royal. Wow, really huge win for him. One hundred seventy five thousand um, dollars. Yeah, it's you know he he said it's the biggest dirt race he's won, bigger than Chili Bowl. I mean, Chili Bowl only pays ten thousand dollars to win. So, 
Um, but I mean, that's a pretty big deal. It's certainly sprint car wise, the biggest race, uh, Kyle Larson's won. So interesting to see those guys. I, I really enjoyed, uh, seeing the, the Elliot experience, uh, last night. And I have a full story up on the athletic.com, um, about sort of like a behind the scenes with, uh, Chase Elliott and Bill Elliott and all that went into that. And, uh, I'll, I'll leave that for you guys to read, but I do want to talk about Nashville itself. Um, Jordan Nashville's Nashville's got a lot of work to do. I would never been to the fairgrounds before. Um, I can't remember. Have you, have you been there? I can't remember. I have been there once, but it was back in 2003. And when I was there and I know a lot's changed since then, but I, am, I doubt I it has yeah. honestly. <laughs> and I am very curious. I, I, I like you, we both like Nashville, what it represents. It's a historic track. It's a short track. We get it. I think NASCAR would do great there. But your firsthand impressions uh, of that track, because we were, again, we were exchanging some messages and everything. And I, I think I'm very curious what you walked away from in terms of your impressions. Yeah, I mean, to me, in, in some ways, like parts of the track and parts of the facility almost feel like um, a lost track that hasn't been lost yet. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's close to like, you like they have a lot of, I mean, just whether it's like, you know, weeds and stuff growing up, uh, and, and sort of reclaiming fences and signs or, um, you know, like the pedestrian tunnel going in the infield, like the ceiling sort of like starting to crumble and you see like the rebar visible and rusted and stuff at parts, uh, you know, the bathrooms awful, like smelly troughs. Um, the concession stands I went out, um, I walked around to the midway cause I wanted to see what it was like you just sort of have like this little dirt area for like trailers that are set up and it's very, very, very small and tight. Um, and the concession stands, very long lines, not able to really handle much capacity like they had last the night. 14,000. Was that the attendance? I think I saw something like that. I'm not sure it was officially announced. I mean, I, you know, they were claiming it was the largest crowd there since the 1970s. But the big problem is, and you know, the, they've talked about this soccer stadium that's this MLS stadium. That MLS stadium, honestly, like if you kicked a soccer ball from that field, uh, you could kick it into the racetrack property for sure. Like the cranes and diggers and whatever, like the fence line or whatever they're doing with the, all the construction vehicles, they're like right up against the fan zone, basically. I mean, it's. And that stadium is big and it, it makes the, the racetrack look pretty like run down kind of, and you know, this big modern stadium they're building. So I get that they're pretty much going to have to start over. That's just going to be a, that's a huge investment they're going to have to make. Like I honestly thought, um, cause you know, I went to the, uh, Stafford motor speedway for the SRX opener. Uh, six weeks ago. I mean, I would say Stafford is like more ready to host, a cup race today than Nashville fairgrounds. But I totally get number one, the historic relevance of Nashville fairgrounds. I mean, that's that speedway is means something to NASCAR, but number two, like Chase Elliott was saying, you know, being in that Metro area, I mean, it, it is in Nashville, right? Like it's, it is close to everything. It's, it's in the city. It's not like Nashville super speedway in the suburb. It's not like Chicagoland was where it's like, Oh, Chicago, but it's way outside or Fontana, like way outside LA. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's there, man. 
Like, and that's in, I you really can't say that about, I don't know, any other NASCAR Richmond, track. Maybe. I think Richmond's probably the closest comparable that's fair. one, but that's, that's fair, still, yeah. it's not downtown, downtown, but Nashville, it, it I know what you're saying. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, can you see, I mean, I think, can you see a path to Nashville coming back on the schedule? Is it realistic? I mean, it depends how much money they want to spend. Honestly, I, you know, our colleague Kelly Crandall was there and we were sort of walking around together and I said, Kelly, what if they said, like, what if somebody came to you and they said, great news, Nashville fairgrounds is going to be on the cup schedule next year. Like, what would your reaction be? And she was like, I'm not sure I'd have a reaction. Like, I think I'd be like a little bit concerned. And I thought that that was the same for me. My reaction would be, that's cool, but how the hell are they going to do that? Like, it needs so <laughs> much work. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I understand the obvious question. People are listening going, well, wait a minute. You, they just did this for SRX. So why couldn't they do it? for the cup series. Like it's a sold out crowd. What's one sold out crowd versus another. It's, it's, it's more than that because like SRX for instance, right. Their paddock area is they have 12 cars crammed into one little tented area. They don't have like a bunch of haulers, a a whole garage that they have to set up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They don't have to have a media center. There was no place for the the media to work last night. We, we watched from the infield, like on a berm, trying to see turn three and four. You had no idea what was going on. Sometimes when the caution would come out, there's no scoreboard. There's no scoring pylon. They have a score. They have a old scoreboard with like five number slots on it. And it, it's so you can hardly read what numbers they are. Um, it's, it's just not like to have that NASCAR feel, you would have to do so much to get it up to those standards, like those minimum standards to have a place for people to like do their jobs that, everything that goes into a NASCAR show. Um, and, and the fan element too. I don't know like where they would park people and if, if they added more stands, like where people would go. Um, so it, it's, and like, for instance, here's another thing last night. Um, what they did was standing room or sorry, it was general admission for certain tiers. So like they had like a top tier, middle tier, lower tier, but there was no seating assignments at all. So you just bought tickets for those sections. So if you didn't get there early, you were walking around like in a movie theater trying to find seats for your group and be like, Oh, like here's, here's me with my kids. I, uh, you know, is there four seats over there? No, you know, it's pretty crammed up and you're just, so again, it's just, there would be so much they have to do. And I'm not saying it's not worth it, but I guess my eyes were kind of open to like how much remains. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's not it's not going to happen like overnight to me. No, I mean this is a multi-year project. It's going to cost a lot of money. And Speedway Motorsports sounds like they want to do this. They're committed to doing this. I think Marcus Smith's track record for big events, whether it's Cota, whether it's Dirt Bristol, whether it's the Roval, whether it's what they're going to do down in Atlanta, he is willing to foot the bill for this. And, and kudos to him. And I want to see this happen. It's a great market and. I, I kind of go back and forth. We, we've talked about this um, on this podcast and just between us of like, you know, NASCAR maybe has like a, just a, a made for TV short track event somewhere. Maybe that's Nashville. I don't know though, because to me, the charm of running a made for TV event just is fine. And I understand that, but the, what Nashville represents though, is the electricity in the crowd. And if you're going to have a short track race there, you want to be 
able to bring in the fans because that is why you want to be there. I, I struggle with that. And I, I want to see this happen, but in a lot of respects, it feels like North Wilkesboro to me where I'll believe it when I see it because there is so much work to do. And until there is a shovel in the ground and there is a workable path, I, I just, I have doubts. Well, one thing is I don't understand the, you know, the, the, the neighborhood resistance and stuff, because like, there's this, I mean, that soccer stadium is going to have a lot of people coming into that neighborhood all the time for like night games and stuff. So if that woman's worried about her cat, there's going to be a lot of traffic, a lot of drunk people, a lot of soccer fans who, you know, yell and chant and stuff like that. I mean, supposedly they ran mufflers on the SRX cars last night, but they were still pretty loud and that was a night race. And then they ran like their, you know, like late model show or whatever afterwards. So, you know, that's at night. They, that's a, a normal thing they do there. I, I just don't really, I don't really get how like one NASCAR race a year would like for three hours or something would make any sort of difference. Uh, like I, I don't really understand what they're, what the neighbors are, are fighting against. I, I think it's more of like a, to me, the, the biggest concern is like, is it worth it for Speedway Motorsports to invest that much if they, I mean, they better have a real, real long-term assurance because like I said, it's, it'd take a, a lot of work. You'd have to fix so much stuff. It's more than just repainting areas. I mean, you'd have to tear stuff down, completely construct new, new parts, uh, you know, bathroom buildings, concessions, all this stuff. So yeah, like I said, it's, it's a lot to do, but I SRX, I mean, kudos to them. What what a great season they had. Um, a six-week run that, you know, look, it, it was supposed to be a TV show. It was supposed to be entertainment. They didn't try to make it more than that. They executed it perfectly. Um, it was just, they did it well. I mean, it's, they got lucky with the weather. Um, they had some great racing. They had some great personalities. They showcased some short tracks that I hadn't gotten to see. They showcase say they showcase some drivers I hadn't gotten to hear about, um, you know whether it's Ernie Francis Jr. or Luke Fenhouse. Didn't really know much about Doug Kobe, um, you know really cool stuff. I mean there were some great moments. I'm excited to see it back next year. I thought it they really did a lot of things right, and that's not a shot at NASCAR, uh, but you know I think that they 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 really did something where you could as as a motorsports fan. You can get excited about it. it. Brought people together from different disciplines. You know, I, I I really loved it. I think there's a lot to be happy about their first season. I, I think it was a home run in a lot of respects. Yes, they got lucky with the weather. Um, they got lucky that they have Paul Tracy in these races, who naturally causes cautions and excitement, and they, he plays the villain role so well. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean. Um, I like it. I think it's great. I think it has a perfect niche. I, I think it, it, you don't, it's not a competitor to NASCAR. It, it's not a competitor to other forms of racing. It's, uh, it, it has carved out a very, its own share of what it is. And it's, and I think we've, we've talked about it before, but it has done a nice job. It's not just about these legends, these guys who are former champions, but it is cultivating some younger talent as well. And we're seeing that with Ernie Francis. Um, I think having Chase Elliott come over and run a race is, is a great thing. And I think in some respects, this can be a companion to NASCAR, like where it could run at a, at a Bristol on the same weekend as NASCAR or something like that. And I think that'd be great to see. Um, I'm really interested to see where it goes from here. I think the important thing for SRX is to not try to go too big, too fast, you know, kind of stay in your lane a little bit. Um, 
I spoke with Ray Abraham. You have too. And Ray's talked about wanting to run a road course next year. I'm okay with that, you know, but let's not get too crazy with the schedule. You know, six, seven, eight races is probably about where I'd want it to be. And you got to be smart about that. And I don't know if honestly, if going to a road course too is you get kind of spread out, it has to be the right road course, you know? And so there's little things like that, but I, I think there is an avenue here for the SRX to continue to have growth. I just want them to be incremental and, and smart about doing it. Yeah. I mean, from what it sounds like, they're, they're kind of comfortable with, you know, six races. They're not going to probably increase the number of cars, keep it at 12. And again, you know, Evernham even said last night, it, it, it is a TV show. You get any more than six races and 12 cars, then it becomes a racing series. This is not really a racing series. It's for entertainment, you know, and that's it. So yeah, I, I think like you said, I mean, you maybe do one road course and mix it up there, but you know, you keep the, the dirt element, you keep the short track element, highlight some tracks that, that need a boost. And, and, you know, I, I think it's cool because it gets people excited about their local stuff too, whether that's a local track or a local driver. Um, you know, it helps all of racing because you go, Hey, you know what? Like this is what Everham said. It, it, this may, hey, this guy that's in my backyard and he can go up against like Luke Fenhouse, right? Now people can go out to that track in Wisconsin and be like, man, this kid, he raced against, he should have won that SRX race. He, he raced against these legends and he almost beat all of them. You know, like he, he put in, he's, he's my local guy or like you, you can go to a staffer and go, this, this is one of the best tracks in America. I'm proud to go here every week and, and see their shows or whatever. And, uh, you know, you, you look at the drivers there and you get excited about it and you say, who, who else could go up against these, these great legends and, and stars and stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's fun. Uh, it served its purpose for what it was and. Um, didn't overstay its welcome at all. And now people can get excited for next year. And, um, yeah, I, I, I was very high on it and the Nashville crab was great. The, the Elliot storyline was wonderful. And again, I wrote a, a piece on the athletic.com that I'd love for you guys to check out. So, uh, and by the way, if, if you'd like to subscribe to the athletic.com, you can go to the website. It's, uh, the athletic.com slash the teardown. And you can see the latest deal, which I believe right now is 33% off for your first year. So please go ahead and check that out. Jordan, uh, one final race to talk about, and that is Formula One. Now, I was on the plane when this was all going down. In fact, I was taken off, so I missed like the whole start of the race. And, uh, boy, when I got my Wi-Fi on, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, because like it, it would have been like a like 20 minute period or something. Yeah. And like the Hamilton Verstappen crash had happened. And then everybody had their initial reactions on Twitter. And then everybody had seen the replays enough times. And like, then the penalty, uh, comes out and stuff. And it was like, wow. So take us through, um, your thoughts on that first. I, it was a wild first lap. I mean, it was both Verstappen and, and Hamilton were very aggressive. And it was because the sprint race on Saturday was basically won on a whole shot. Verstappen got the jump, held the lead, and was able to hang on to it. That was kind of, that went into today's race. Like both drivers knew that, hey, it is imperative to get that start and get the lead and establish yourself and then put the other person on their back foot. And you could see this happen in real time of like, 
Hamilton made a couple moves. Verstappen kind of defended, and they just kind of went back and forth. And it just kind of kept escalating. And you just kind of were waiting for this to happen. Were they going to make contact and both crash? Was one going to force each other off? I my personal opinion is, let me say this first. I think Formula One is overly officiated. I think there are too many judgment calls. I hate it. Um, I, I like black or white rules. I do not like interpretation. They, they move the goalposts all the time of what hard racing is and this and that. And I feel that way about IndyCar too, in a lot of respects, and especially in Formula One though. And I, I know that this is an incident where it's like, there is no middle ground, but I think there is a middle ground. This to me is a racing incident versus Hamilton was very aggressive. Um, he maybe wasn't going to make that corner, but he was sure as hell going to try. But if you look at it too, Verstappen didn't leave much room and kind of came down a little bit and kind of chopped him. So this is, I don't agree with the penalty to Hamilton. It's unfortunate what happened to Max. Um, You know, he has been released from the hospital. He says he's okay, which is great. But this is part of racing. Racing is supposed to be like this, of this mano a mano aggressiveness. Now there is a fine line between being aggressive and going after something and dirty driving and you're sitting there smirking and everything. And you don't want guys making dirty moves. That's fine. This isn't Michael Schumacher in the early 90s when he crashed his way to a championship. This was aggressive guys between two guys who were fighting for a world championship. That's what you want. <sighs> I'm so disappointed with this reaction from you. And it's not because you're wrong, but it's because I agree 100% with you. And I've been waiting all day <laughs> to argue with whatever you were going to say about this. Cause I thought you'd either come down on Max's side or Lewis's side, or you'd talk about the penalty being one way or the other. And I, I even texted you, don't tell me what you think about this. Cause I want to hear it for the first time on the podcast and I want to give a live reaction. And I just want to like tee up and just ready to beat down whatever argument you have. And then you have like the exact same way I felt about it. It's a racing incident. My God, why can't everybody's like, like Hamilton's being like vilified and stuff or like wrecking him or something. Give me a freaking break. Are you kidding me? He's going for a spot. Max is going for a spot. They collided and everybody's like, Oh, you left this much. Oh, if you slow down the replay and then you can see this, please there. It's a racing incident. Why in Formula One world can they not understand? Like this is, we always criticize NASCAR. This is one thing NASCAR does so, so well. They keep their hands off these incidents. They let the sort of the drivers sort it out. They don't need to insert themselves. Like why does there need completely blatant? Yes. And this penalty serves no purpose. Mercedes is not happy because they don't think they deserved a penalty. Red Bull (laughs) thinks they should have had more penalty and the penalty ultimately did nothing because Lewis won anyway. So what's the freaking point? Just stay out of it. The stewards don't need to make a judgment on every single little thing that happens. My God, just let them race. Sometimes they race really hard and things happen. They collide. He didn't do maliciously. Max wasn't trying to do anything bad. Lewis wasn't trying to do anything bad. They were racing hard. They both won the spot. Like you said, they knew that that was the race right there. They went for it. They collided. That's it. Like, let it go, people. My God. Everybody has to like blame of, somebody. And this is the kind of racing you want to promote though. This is, this should be the backbone of your series of like, these guys are willing to risk it all and, and to win the world championship. And that's what you want. And again, there is a difference between aggressive, hard driving and, and guys completely taking each other out 
and, and you know doing cheap shots and, and putting other people at risk. That you need to officiate. And, and NASCAR, to some degree, does that. I mean, we've seen this before, whether it's Keselowski or uh, Carl Edwards and Keselowski, whether it's Kenseth and Logano. If NASCAR has to step in, they will. And this is where they get it right, is they let the drivers dictate this. And that's what racing is about. And we don't want people to get hurt, but there is a fine line between being overly cautious and, and you know, the other way. And Formula One goes way too far in the other direction. You know what F1 needs to officiate? What? Nikita Mazepin. <laughs> yeah. Like when he goes out on track and blends like right in front of somebody or ruins their lap or, you know, does something reckless or stupid. That's, that's what they need to officiate. That's what the stewards should be there for. Yeah. Like keeping the racing etiquette and things like that going, they don't need to like officiate an exciting race for the lead between the two championship contenders that will sort itself out. Trust me. Yeah. You know, and slowing it and going back and looking at replays and super slow-mo and deciding and then sit there. And the funniest thing is, I mean, this whole ordeal is is listening to these high multi-million dollar, in some cases, almost billion dollar company team talking about, I'm going to send you an email with a diagram stating my position. Right. First of all. Who the hell are dudes? Why are we doing email? Like emailing? I don't check my email. You don't check. No one does email anymore. What, what are we doing? And like, we're gonna start <laughs> doing PowerPoint presentations. Like, come on. Like, I hope so. I hope that whoever gave that received that email just automatically hit delete and like are sent it to the spam folder because like, what are we doing here? Oh man, it is it is way overly complicated. But that's that's Formula One. Like, it is just they cannot stay out of their way sometimes. And the, and the silliest things. And it's just, it, it's crazy that this sport, which it is, there is so much great about it. And today was a great race. I mean, it really was. It was fascinating to see this watch play out and Hamilton charging back. And I think there's a lot of positives about this weekend, um, you know, in the crowd there in the sprint race, which I, I don't, I don't know. I've got mixed opinions on that. It was fine, but I, there is, it's just, it's unbelievable how they just overly complicate things. There is one thing, and I and I want to get your take on this um, on theathletic.com and in, in my top five column. I'm I'm touching on this. Um, you know, I, I went back. There's like this uh, YouTuber who posts like a lot of the radio feeds from F1, mm-hmm. and I listened to like the Mercedes, you know, complete post race. They were, you know. I think even in NASCAR, like if that happened, like Kyle Busch, when he won uh, his last Xfinity race and he'd gotten into Hemrick or whatever, right? Yeah. He was like, ah, you know, he didn't bow. He didn't want to win that way. You know what I mean? Like there's there's an element of that even in NASCAR where it's like, hey, I, I don't want to win that way. I'll take the win. I hate that happened or I hate that I wrecked that guy or got into that guy. Yeah. How much was that though? The fact that it was his teammate though too. But okay, okay. So exclude that. You get into that in other situations too in NASCAR. Like- if somebody bumped somebody out of the way to win a race or they made contact accidentally, it's like, ah, oh, I hate to win that way, but I, you know, I'll take the win, but sorry to that team or something like there's, there's like a little bit toned down celebration. I didn't get that feel at all from Mercedes no. or Hamilton. Uh, they were just as happy as if they had just beat max like straight up and he finished second. Uh, given that max was like, did have to be transported to a local hospital, at least for evaluation. You would think that there'd be like a little bit like of a somber something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but 
I, I, so I didn't like, I didn't like that part of yeah. it. I thought that was a little over the, like they should have been like, yeah, we won, you know, important step today, guys, you know, um, obviously we don't want to do it by making contact with the other championship competitor because that's the kind of thing that Red Bull is really, really going to remember. Well, they did. We'll, I mean, Max has already tweeted about it. I mean, yeah, he's no, already, no. Dude, I, I agree with you in that. You maybe would like to see it. I think there's a couple things at play though. One, this was the first British Grand Prix with fans, you know, large sporting event like this. And it was really there and they were excited and their, their, their home guy, Lewis Hamilton, not just was winning, but he like he had a charge back from this controversial penalty, and it's all this emotion of seeing that, and he passes you know, Leclerc at the very end. And I think if that didn't happen, this was just kind of a runaway win for Lewis. I think it would have been different. But I think the emotion of all of that combined kind of you know carried away a little bit. And I, and I agree though. I mean, you know, I think if in retrospect, Mercedes will probably look back and say, yeah, we probably could have handled it differently. But I, I also think that sometimes. It, this is sports. Emotion happens. And when you, you win a, a race, you didn't think you were going to win in front of your, your home country. Um, that's, that's, you're going to get excited. All right. That's, that's maybe fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, how about poor Ferrari? You called it well before it happened on Twitter. You're like, I'm looking forward to seeing how Ferrari screws us up this time. Poor Ferrari. In my, and I was wrong though. Like I thought they were going to screw it up. They actually like, they were gonna have a bad pit stop. And That's true. They some, just got beats. Yeah. They just got beat. Like they didn't do anything wrong. They just got beat by Mercedes, which there's no shame in losing to Mercedes. Um, kudos to them. But I mean, it, I was actually, dis, I was actually really disappointed. I was texting with some friends of mine who are diehard F1 fans. And I was like, I was really generally disappointed. They didn't screw this up. So well. <laughs> You wanted to see them completely fall on their face. It's my favorite thing to watch in motorsports is just Ferrari bungle and stumble over themselves. It's so I wish they'd oh, be good again. Poor Ferrari. I wish, oh, it's so great. Poor Leclerc. Oh, he doesn't uh, deserve this. He did nothing. They, he did nothing wrong. He was great. I mean, he was fine. He drove a great race, and Ferrari managed the race fine. But man, it's fun to watch these guys mess up. A zillion ways to lose a race. Well, Jordan, I think we've come to the end of our podcast. This might be. Uh, close to record length for the teardown probably but uh yeah this was this was a jam-packed one um i don't know what you're gonna do not not talking to me for three weeks i'm I'm just gonna not talk to you or answer any of your calls or texts or anything that's normally how it is isn't it (laughs) (laughs) no it's not how it is it's not how it is we just i like doing the podcast it's gonna be interesting i mean this is it's weird we're going in this off week or two week off week for nascar and it's like Oh, by the way, in two days, Brad Keselowski is going to announce that he's now co-owner driver at Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, that's weird timing for me because my vacation is already like long ago starting Tuesday. So I'm not going to be able to help you with that. So Jordan's going to carry the athletics coverage of that. I'm sure you'll be there in person at the NASCAR Hall of Fame to cover all that and talk to all the uh, involved principals. By the way, did you see Bob Pockers' tweet this morning of how he tried to he had a very clever way of asking Brad about I did. where he's going. Was, uh, it was a very Bob question, and he it was good. It was smart. It was that good. was that was clever. Bob put yeah. some thought into that. He said, "What's your favorite baseball team?" To see if the Red Sox would uh, sp- somehow spring out from Tigers fan Kozlowski, but didn't didn't work. But good try, no. Bob. It's I don't know. I it's interesting. I I guess let's just ask you. I'm asking, what do you feel about this move? Like I have mixed thoughts. Like, um. If the next-gen car is what people think it's going to be and it's going to kind of level the playing field and the drivers are going to make a difference, I, I understand why Keselowski is doing this. 
because this is a good move. He can still win races and maybe he can rebuild Roush into a title contender like Tony Stewart. But there's a lot of doubts whether this next gen car is going to actually do that. And it's still going to favor the big team. So Keselowski is leaving a championship caliber organization in his prime. And it's like, I feel like he's leaving a lot on the table. I think he, in these situations, you, you have to look at somebody's vision. They see things, uh, you know, a lot of times, um, I think some of the great moves happen when, you know, somebody has an idea and they do something and everybody goes, wow, why are they doing that? Um, but they've, they've thought it through, they've worked it out. Um, I'd even go back to sort of like the, the Justin Marks thing. Um, and then you see, oh, he ends up buying, uh, buying Ganassi, you know, it's like, oh, I, I, now I see how this vision is starting to form. Um, I think Brad wouldn't make this move without putting a lot. He's a deep thinker. He wouldn't make this move without putting a lot of thought into it. Uh, we saw Roger Penske's statement to you this week um, when you did the De Benedetto story and stuff about how Brad had asked for ownership from Penske, and that was a request he couldn't meet. So he obviously went and found ownership somewhere else. Clearly, he wanted to have some ownership role, and he thought now was the time to do it. So um, I don't doubt that Brad can get the right people in place. And I think the next gen car buying it from a single source, same engines as he has now and all that stuff. So uh, I, I wouldn't doubt the vision. I mean, I, I think it, it might look a little iffy on the surface right now, but if he gets the right people around him, I mean, we once, we once were like, why is Tony Stewart leaving Gibbs to go to like Haas CNC? Sure. You know what I mean? Like, what what is the deal with that? Yeah, that's a terrible team. So, um, I think there's, I think there's a vision for this stuff, and and I I would trust Brad's uh, thinking on that. Honestly, I I think he he thinks things through. That's my thought. That's a that's a good uh, that's a very good outlook. Well, for more outlooks, good or bad, please come back and join us in three weeks when we reconvene to talk about the Watkins Glen NASCAR race and the Nashville IndyCar race on the streets of Nashville. Jordan, when I was in Nashville this week, I drove over the bridge back and forth a couple times actually. And the barriers are already up. It's pretty cool. I think it's going to be a really exciting race. Um, it's going to be lots of fun when we come back after a little break come back rejuvenated, pick up this playoff talk, pick up the IndyCar talk, um, F1. Be lots to talk about post-Olympics. We appreciate all your listeners. Um, thanks so much for joining us every week. And uh, please don't forget about us. Until then, everybody stay safe. Have a great summer. Talk to you next time on The Teardown.